Hello? Striker, what's up, buddy? M Shadows. We're doing this today, right? We're doing this today. I'm about five minutes away. I can't wait to see the house. I've been hearing a lot about it. I'm very excited. There's two things I wanted to tell you. Number one, uh, it's my dog's birthday today. So don't feel obligated to stop for a present, okay? Dude, I'm five minutes away. There's no way I can stop for a present, but I'll give him an extra pet. <laughs> okay, and number two, do not ask him how old he is because he's very self-conscious about that. I understand. I, I just turned 40 and I completely get it. <laughs> All right, man. Be careful coming up the hill. I'll see you pretty soon, oh, dude. Five minutes. Okay, bye. Your name is Stryker? Yes, it is. That's fire. <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called tuna on toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music and I love those that create it. Stryker's here. Tuna on toast. Yes. Tuna on toast. Yeah, welcome to another episode of Tuna on Toast. It's your friend Ted Stryker. Hey, we are brought to you by... Hammer Toyota here in Southern California, out of Mission Hills. Next time you're thinking about buying a car, leasing a car, selling your car, trading in your car, just think about these guys. They are absolutely unbelievably loyal and they treat all their customers like rock stars. So I drove out there at the end of last week. Johnny, he's the general sales manager. He's on my Instagram all the time. He's JY311. Handsome as can be, a very young dude. But I just started filming him when I walked in. I said, Johnny, what's your favorite TV show of all time? He started fumbling and stumbling around, and this is what he said. Three's Company. <laughs> no! It's probably up there. It's just first thing that popped in my head, but it actually has yeah, probably up there. It's probably Three's Company. <laughs> I love that too, Johnny. Hey, the website is H-A-M-E-R, HammerToyota.com. All right, M. Shadows from Avenged Sevenfold is going to join us in just a minute. We recorded the interview before the tragic events at Astroworld where Travis Scott was playing. Um, I'm sitting here right now and I'm trying to escape reality. And I think Tune on Tosa's podcast, it is an escape from reality. I mean, maybe you're at the gym right now working out and you just want to hear this conversation and deep dive or you're cleaning up your house or you're driving home from school or work. But I cannot shake this incredibly sad feeling I have for the eight people that died and the hundreds that were injured at a concert for me. And I have a feeling we are similar in many things in life. That is the last place that I feel like I could get hurt at. I mean, maybe in a mosh pit back in the day, circling around a little bit, get an elbow to the head or something like that. And I only moshed a little, uh, minimal moshing for me. But what's, what really gets me is this. Going to a concert for the most part is never a last minute thing. It's never, I mean, maybe once in a blue moon it happens where 20 minutes before a concert, your friend says, hey, I got a ticket, let's go. It's such a buildup of fun and anticipation you saved your money. You got your outfit to wear. Maybe you're going with your boyfriend or girlfriend or a big group of friends, and you're going to bond. What merch are you going to buy? What song will the artist or band open up with? Oh, my God, I can't wait for this night. And for the most part, the last thing on your mind is that something terrible is going to happen to you, especially death. And it's just, oh, man. And whenever we go to a show, like we all bond at a show because... We may have so many differences out there in the world, but we have at least one thing in common, and that is the person or the band on stage. Oh, man. So I'm just sending sending all the positive thoughts to all of those affected um, in Houston. It's hard to even segue after that, 
but we're going to do it. Let's talk about Avenged Sevenfold. What a band. It's unbelievable what they have built. No, it's not. It's believable because they are great musicians and songwriters and performers. Seven studio albums out. Formed in Huntington Beach, Sinister Gates, yes, and M. Shadows and Zaki, Johnny Christ. Also, shout out Brooks Wackerman, who is an amazing drummer. Um, do I ask M. Shadows if there is new music on the way? You're goddamn right I do! Let me talk about M. Shadows before we do this thing. He's coming to the house. Uh, Tune on Toast, for the most part, is done at my house. A lot of great episodes out there, so spread the word. Also find me, Ted Stryker, Instagram, Tuna on Toast Instagram, and you can watch these interviews as well on YouTube. All the interviews are up on YouTube. M Shadows, we know he has the it factor on stage. He's got it off stage as well. The dude glows. He's also a selfless, kind guy. He's extremely mature, but also youthful. M Shadows puts on a hat. I'm like, what high school do you go to? He's like, Stryker, it's me, M Shadows. Let's go hit some golf balls, man. He's also a forward thinker. I have so much love for the band. They are so fun to see live. And those of you that are Avenged Sevenfold fans, it's just fun going to show to see the enthusiasm. So without any further ado, let's get to it. Please welcome to the Tuna on Toast Studios. This is M Shadows. This is fun in here, dude. This is cool. Thanks, man. Very cool. Thank you. Check, check, check. Yep. That's good. Jay-Z really signed that for you, huh? Yeah. That's pretty sick. Yeah. That's amazing. Easy to talk to them? Very, very easy. That's good. I'm sure you talk to a lot of people that are not easy to talk to. It's got to I be remember nice. early on, no one had heard of Coldplay. This uh-huh. was like in, I don't know, 99 or 2000 or something. And I just remember that was, it did not go well on my end. Really? I mean, I was kind of green in the business I, and I didn't really know what I was doing. I mm-hmm. still don't. And I just know that the vibe wasn't there. But luckily, I've had sit downs like two or three times since then. <laughs> like, so what went wrong? Was it? Their vibe was here, and I was like somewhere off in outer space instead of like, oh, let me just meet in the middle, yeah, and yeah, it yeah. would just be much more much more conversational. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I think that happens a lot with radio personalities and stuff. You roll in somewhere, and then they're just like, yo, what's up? And then you're right. just like, whoa. Right. It's, it's a, a lot, t- you know? Turned it on way too much. And then a lot of times, they'll be, you know, they, they get off the radio, and they're like, so what's up? And they're like totally normal people. Right. And then they turn it on and you're used to talking to something and then they just throw it. And you're just like, whoa, like who am I talking to? Like a caricature. Of- right. Hey, so M Shadows, you guys going to have a sip of vodka after the show? Yeah, we are. Okay, we're going on two minutes. Everybody, welcome to the show. M Shadows is here from Avenged yep. Sevenfold. The best dude you'll ever meet. And yes, he's good in golf. You know, we always like hanging out, even uh, outside of our, our jobs. So... Uh, it's it's great, man. It's good to come and chat and kind of and do something more serious. Yeah, because every time we do hang out, as you said, uh, most of the time it's golf related. Yeah, and we never, I never ask questions about the band. It's all like, "Em, should I use a nine iron or a sandwich here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Em, is this putt gonna break left or right yeah. here? Should we really bet these guys a hundred bucks a hole?" <laughs> <laughs> and here's the great thing about M Shadows: he is a confidence builder. You put your arm on me, and you're like striker. It's going to be okay, man. Just relax and play. And the big line that you give me is, it's really fun to beat these guys. These, so these let's guys are go out and fold like a deck of cards. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. You got to have confidence. Have you always been a competitive guy? I have been. I mean, in my later years, I think I've kind of calmed down on the competitiveness in terms of like, 
feeling like there's like this rat race that we have to compete in all the time. But with golf, you know, it's always fun to have something on the line and, and you want to win, right? Like, right. I mean, when you get back to dinner, have the beer later, you don't want to be hearing <laughs> these other guys talk about, you know, how they took your money. And it's also embarrassing because I don't do the Venmo in my family. My wife does. Right. So Val's, I'm like, hey, Val, can you send Corey $1,000? Oh, my God. Hey, Val, can you? And she's like, did you lose again? So I don't want that. So when the money comes in, it's kind of cool to be like, hey, babe, you know. Made some money while I was golfing today. What you just said to us right now, I don't think any man ever fesses up to. So if I go to Las Vegas, yeah. Katie, my wife, will say, how'd you do when you played? Ah, I broke even. Yeah, yeah. Next trip, how'd you do? I was down 250 Yeah. I ended up $75. Yeah, yeah. But your Val knows exactly to the dime how much you possibly you lost, she right? She does. And she doesn't give me any, <laughs> any guff about it, which is good, but... um. Yeah, you know, she sees it. You know, there's a there's a ledger now. She can see what's going on. Did you play sports growing up? I did. I played basketball. I mean, I played all the sports that we would all play growing up with the soccer and the, the baseball and the football. But um, basketball was my sport. Um, I was very serious into it. Anyone that knows me knows, you know, I, I probably was going to go to college for it. I ended up um, getting into music and went on Warp Tour out of high school and decided not to go to college. Was your first Warp Tour in like 2003 or 2004 or was it late it was 90s? Like, it was... 2000 or 2001. So we were oh, 2000. We were graduating high school the year of 2000. We went on Warped Tour that year. And Johnny, you got to think about was years younger than us. Just we're ripping him out of high school. And so my, to get back to basketball, my sister ended up, ended up going down to the WNBA. So we have like a That's basketball amazing. family. Yeah. But for me, you know, I was kind of burnt out on it, which I think a lot of kids get burnt out if you're playing too much when you're younger. And uh, we just went to warp Tour and Kevin Lyman gave us a spot to play on a, not a stage, piece of dirt called the Kevin Lyman stage. <laughs> and we had, um, you know, our demos and our, our little records and we'd sell one or three a day and it was a big deal. You know, I'm curious what your folks said to you because you were college bound. You're a very, very bright guy and you're 18, 19 years old. And yes, it is cool as hell to play the warp tour, but they may not think it's as cool as you think it is. Yeah. So what, what was their attitude? What'd they say to you? You know, they were, after they started hearing us play and they knew Jimmy really well and they knew Brian really well, they knew our, that we were all friends for so long and we were doing this band thing. And I think once we started actually making music, my dad was like, this is kind of good. Like my dad's a rock guy. Like he loves yeah. old school rock. He loves new rock. He loves, you know, just all sorts of music. So I think he was like, this is pretty cool. Like they let us build out half the garage and we made a studio and we would this is all, all at your place. Yeah. We would practice every day after school and we would just like the neighbors would kind of sit around and you know, we had neighbors complaining. We had cops showing them. Everyone kind of was like, cool. <laughs> the, the kids are in a band. That's cute. And we would do that. And I think once we like had some recorded music, my dad was like, this is really cool. There was never any pushback. Like you shouldn't do that. It was kind of like, Hey, we might go to Europe and like, Oh, that's great. They'd get me a book on Europe, you know, like, or like, go study about Europe. It'll be cool. Your one chance to go to Europe. And now we've been so many times and just like, right. You know, but, but, uh, yeah, they were really supportive to be honest. They would let us practice. They wouldn't give us any guff. And I think that's all you can do as parents. They probably at that point were just like throwing their hands in the air going, what are we going to do at this point? So you spent your life playing these sports and I can guarantee for you, cause I know how you tick and how competitive you still are and more, but you can go to the free throw line anytime and say, I'm probably going to make this shot. Free throws. Right. Yes. But when you are first getting on stage to play a show, mm -hmm. did you have that same confidence or did you feel like I have no clue what I'm doing here? I had the confidence. I'd been going to shows for years. I mean, we were going to warp tours for years and Ozfest for years and going to the chain reaction and showcase oh, yeah. theater and Coos yeah. cafe and yeah. the whiskey. And I mean, 
I felt like we were ready, but at the same time, we definitely weren't. And you go watch those shows and they're, they're God awful. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I also think, um, you know, walking up and having 30 friends there is not the same as walking on to headline download festival. And so when you're, when you're starting really low and really small, it's not as nerve wracking. I think for us, it was simply, it just grew so slow and steadily that nothing ever seemed like too big of a jump to where we couldn't mentally mm. handle it. You mm. know, yeah. it's like, okay, 30 friends here. Oh, there's actually seven other people we don't know. Oh, now there's 10 people we don't know. Oh, now there's 200 people we don't know. It was very gradual. It wasn't like throwing us in to some crazy, you know, right. matrix where we couldn't figure it out. I feel very lucky because there's so many bands who play stadium size shows in 2021 that I saw play when there were 50 people there. Yeah. I'm so mad that I was not early on Avenged Sevenfold. I did not see any shows in 2000. I didn't see any shows in 2001. It wasn't until a friend of mine named Matt Money Smith, who announces the Chargers games these days on radio. Smith. Matt right, Money Smith was like, Striker, do you know Avenged Sevenfold? I'm like, I know of them. Have you seen them play? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, no. He's like, get your ass to a show immediately. That's cool. I was somewhat late to the party, but I'm- To be uh, honest, yeah. if anybody says they've seen those early shows, I'm skeptical because there was so <laughs> few people there. I'm like, I think I would have known. Yeah. Like, I mean, it had to be like, by waking the fall and that we could finally sell out Chain Reaction. That's your second album. Our second record, yeah. yeah. And so like, I mean, before that it was, we were so different than everybody that it, all, these things, when you're different, it seems like a no brainer now, but at the time you just really do stand out. And it's like, well, we don't like them. They, they're, they're singing and they're screaming, or we don't really like them. They have like this punk rock influence, but we're hardcore. And like, so the, the audience at that time is very locked into what they believe the scene should be. And then huh. these guys roll up and they got lead guitar and solos and they're screaming half the time and singing. And they're, they're just as influenced by no effects as they are by, you know, Metallica. It just was a does not compute at the time. And mm. I think that was a big reason why our first record, like people were just like, eh, who cares until we got on the warp tour and then we started finding our audience. Right. It was like, right. we were the first band that was doing the screaming vocals that were allowed on warp tour because it was wow. like, we were on hopeless records and it was a, right. a punk rock label. Exactly. And hopeless. so, yeah. so we're on a punk rock label, but we're a metal core, hardcore punk rock, weird band. And then, so we got this fan base that was very alternative to what was happening. It wasn't in one lane. And so I and there think was virtually, Zero radio play. There was zero this radio was play. No Twitter, uh, obviously. This was all word of mouth. Hey, have you heard of this band, Avenged yeah. Sevenfold? Yeah, and I damn, think, that is freaking awesome. I think awesome, the logo dude. helped us. There was a logo. Yeah, and it was like we see who designed that. the logo. Oh, we actually we were just in high school, seventeen, and we asked. We said, you know, the Misfits have a logo. You can just right. you know yes. the Misfits by just their totally. logo. Yes, and so we went to our friend Micah Monahue, who recently passed away. Oh. You know, um, but um. We went to him and said, we want a real life skull with real life wings. Can you do that? And I think he got like a, a book out of like, you know, of human skulls and just kind of did this. And we're like, that's it. That's our logo. That's and so we just started pla plaster or plastering it everywhere. And then we, um, I think the next thing was just like, we want to be known by just our logo and not the band name. That's, and so we just started putting it everywhere. That's worked. And it worked. It yeah. Worked. Like, and it worked. So um, I think you know, it worked out, but it was really inspired by the Misfits and just the idea that they could have a logo and you knew what it was without seeing the Misfits name. Was there ever like a, a band meeting? Is it 20 years since the debut album, I think, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Gee, many Christmas. Where you discussed, guys, we want to do a band. Let's make this kind of music. 
Was there a meet or was it like, this is what we're influenced by? However it sounds, I guess we're going to go in that direction. Yeah, it was just kind of, no, there was no band meeting. It was just, um, we were writing songs and we were, I remember we used to, we used to go into warehouse records and we used to oh, yeah. steal CDs because we didn't have the money for them. <laughs> we used to do two things to get CDs, which were very shady. Okay. Do you remember the, I think it was the BMG or BMI um, clearinghouse thing where you would Put the 10 CDs down. Of course. Okay. Yes. And you, you mail it, you mail, mail it and then they send it to you. And it's like a it's cent. Like a it's cent. like a penny. Yes. Yeah. Right. And then you're like locked in. <laughs> so we used to fill those out for all of our neighbors and we would watch the mailman and wait for him. And then he would bring the box and we would just wait and we'd steal our CDs. <laughs> so like, there's like a couple, you know, tracks of homes that like we're listening to Slayer and Sepultura and Metallica <laughs> and Megadeth. And we would just get 10 CDs every house and we'd just wait for the mailman. Oh, let's steal the CDs. Great idea. So great CD hack 20 years ago. And then we would go to warehouse. Sometimes and we'd take a lighter and burn off the plastic things that would read it when they go through. So I remember specifically going in and stealing punk and Drublick, the no yes, effects record. Right. I remember unknown road, Pennywise, I remember Megadeth's Countdown to Extinction, just go in there, burn it off, stick it in your pocket and go out. I mean, we had no money. I'm not trying to justify it now. Like, right. No, no, it's fun. We were just being, it's the, it was the early days of- yeah. uh, have, have you thought of calling the warehouse and, and have you thought of calling those neighbors and apologizing to them? <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, I'm sure there was no repercussions for them. I'm sure it was the CD company. I mean, listen, you, you do whatever though. you can do of to get by. Of course. So it's not that bad, really, what you did. It's well, funny. Well, it's funny now. But um, <laughs> but the, going back to the point was that we were listening to so much stuff. I guess it's the new age Napster. I mean, you can listen to anything you want, right? Or, or Spotify or whatever it is. Like you can listen to whatever you want. It's at, the, at your fingertips. At the time, that was us getting stuff at our fingertips. We were trying out everything on Roadrunner Records. We were trying out everything that was metal. And so we're listening to Mashuga and Metallica and also Bad Religion and No Effects and Pennywise and Good Riddance. Oh, God, I love and all then, these bands. And then, then punk rock was breaking on K-Rock. Yeah. You have Bad Religion and Green Day breaking and Playing all these every things. every hour you hear Bad Religion, Green Day, Pennywise, totally. back to back yeah, to back. And Offspring mixed in as well. Totally. So we're growing up in Southern California. And so that mix was normal to us. It was not until we started getting bigger that everyone was going like, you've got a weird taste or you've got a weird sense of where your band's going. And we're like, Oh wow. Because in New York or Sweden or Germany, they're not being exposed to all the stuff we were being exposed to. It's like this big meshing pot. Right. And so our sound is basically because we grew up in Southern California, wow. just because we had so many different influences. Who, or what was the situation for you guys going to playing shows in front of 30 people to somebody out there existing in the universe saying, wow, you guys have something. Let's take it to the next level. I mean, one thing was Lewis Posen from Hopeless Records. He had heard about us. I mean, I think all those people have their ears to the ground when they're listening to like, you know, I remember James Hart from 18 Visions gave us one of our first shows and he allowed us to open like first of seven. And it was like 18 Visions, Poison the Well was coming to town, bleeding through, throw down, all these hardcore bands. But we were opening and no one cared. So I don't, I mean, that was like kind of the catalyst of starting. But then our manager actually went to the bank one day and Lewis Posen's brother gave him a bunch of CDs from Hopeless Records. We'd put out our first record and Larry was just coming from a job at Capitol Records and he was leaving the music business. And I guess he put in our CD and he heard the first song on Sounding the Seventh Trumpet and he was like, what is this? And he had to meet us. So we got a call from this guy that was in the music industry and we're like, we don't want a manager. Rancid doesn't have managers. <laughs> like we're like, 
managers are so lame, you know, like, and so we, we end up meeting at the rainbow bar and grill. Okay. We go down to LA. That's a long ride for you. It to was get a long there. ride for us. We show up in our, our van. Okay. Right? And Larry shows up in a Mercedes. We're like, Whoa, this guy's got money. This is crazy. And then he tips the guy like 20 bucks and we're like, Oh dude, this guy's rolling. Right? Like, simple, like crazy right. stuff now, but yeah. at the time we're like, Oh my God. Sure. So we're like, we go to this meeting. We're like, we don't want a manager. We're not going to You say this to him. Yeah. We're like, we don't okay. want a manager. We did. And we go through all these things and he's like, well, here's how I can help you. And he, he goes through all these things. Like you shouldn't be reaching out to producers. I can reach out to producers. You shouldn't be doing this. I can be doing this. And we're like, Oh, maybe we'll give him a try. We end up going home and we're like, dude, this guy's rolling. This guy's got it down. We got it. We got to <laughs> give him a try. And we've been with him it ever since. Just, you've been with him ever since. Been with him ever since. We're still with him. Wow. Yeah. So it's a long, like that's, he, that's he's, great he story. saw something in us mm -hmm. in the beginning. And you listen back to that and it's like, maybe, maybe not. But at the time he believed in it and he went all in on it. And so that was one of the first big things because then we had someone that was a killer for us. Right. It was like, you're not going to go play showcase anymore for pizza. You're gonna get paid 300 bucks. You know, like you're not gonna keep going and doing this. You're gonna do this. And then then with the whole label thing, when the labels got involved, he was just brilliant to have because he knew everybody at the labels and he knew how to work it in a way that was like, you know, there was a bidding war for us at that point. We had sold 150,000 records by ourselves. Right. And we needed that guidance of like, you don't wanna sign somewhere. You don't wanna do this. You wanna make sure it's the right people, the right label. And to be able to trust someone like that, that yeah. early on yeah. is huge and obviously so beneficial for you. Well, and there's been so many tests that he could have screwed us on and he never did. And looking back now, I think that as loyal as he was in the beginning, it, it was like, we look back now and you're like, okay, yeah, he's always, been in our corner. Right. So I think it's been, um, it's been really great. We've been lucky. A lot of bands just kind of jump from manager to manager and go to these big, you know, groups that manage a lot of groups. And we've just never had interest in this. We've always had the interest of having the one guy that manages just us and he's got one agenda and that's to make Avenged Sevenfold the biggest band. But one thing that you guys do so well, which I think is why you've had such longevity and still building your fan base today, which is the greatest thing for a band 20 plus years in, and you're gaining new people to come to your shows, get the merch and all that. You've been forward thinking. Yeah. Is it hard for you to not needle in everything when you've got this great manager where it's like, okay, this guy maybe knows a bit more on this topic. I'm just going to let him kind of figure this out instead of just like, no, do it this way, that way, this way. Yeah, I think micromanaging on both sides is important and not micromanaging is important. Okay. So like, um, we let Larry do what he's good at and then Larry lets us go. Like we're, we're, we're adults. We don't need somebody holding our hand. We are we're very forward thinking in some of the things that we're trying to do and what we want to do. We've never had anyone's input on the music, never had anyone's input on the artwork, mm. never had anyone's, we, we own our own merch company. We do everything ourselves at this point. And it's just going to get more and more decentralized as we go on. And I feel like Larry lets us just go and he doesn't give us grief awesome. over it. It's just like, what are you guys going to do? And I'll go make sure the back end's taken care of. Right. right? I'm going to protect you on the back end. And when we have to do shows, he'll be out there talking to Live Nation, doing this and that, making sure everything's in our best interest. But for other things that he doesn't need to be involved in, it's I think it's best that he just stays out because he trusts us and he knows that we're going to make the decisions that are best for us. Just announced, speaking of forward thinking and getting ahead of everything, Death Bats Club. Yeah. I watched this five, six minute video. I got the chills because not only was it produced really well, but I, I know a little about NFTs, and all, but I got it. I yeah. understand what you're doing. So Death Bats Club seems to me, and then please expand on this, the relationship between Avenge Sevenfold 
and the fans and just the overall community, no matter where you are in the world, is going to change a little bit for the better. Yeah. From your eyes and your vantage point, how and why is that happening with this? To Much more it, connected with yeah, everybody. To keep, to keep everything as high level as possible, because there's a million rabbit holes we can go down. There's this thing called blockchain technology, which is a game changer in the, in the online world, right? So Web3 is giving digital ownership, digital assets to people now, and you can actually own certain things that take place in the internet. If you look at the way culture is going, I mean, my generation, I believe, ushered in the million-dollar Twitch player or the million-dollar Fortnite player. It was something that when it came out, our, none of our parents wanted us to play video games. Right. We continued to play video games because that was what the culture wanted. And now we have people that are making livings playing video games. The next thing that's happening is people want digital assets in those games. They want digital assets with all the time they spend on the internet. It's almost more important to people like my, my kids that instead of having the new Jordans, they want the online Fortnite skin that they can show off and right. have this cool thing. And that's yes. their flex. Yes. And yes. So yes. as we spend more time online, um, the idea of digital ownership and having digital assets is more and more appealing. So what we did was we took a couple different models of these NFTs and we basically said, we have an audience. We have a group of people that, that we would love to collaborate and also give more control to, and also build a community with, a stronger community with. And blockchain's been that answer for us. So the idea of getting these NFTs and then now your, you know, your name changes on the discords and you get these giveaways and then you can get tickets airdropped to you. And You, you need to get, get the death bat tokens though for all of this to happen. Yes, so the digital ownership is the token. It's like a key that unlocks this world of real world utility mixed with the digital asset world. So not only can we do things in the real world, but we can do things in the, digi in the digital world for right. you. So if you look at where things are going, there's decentralized gaming platforms, such as the sandbox. Most AAA games will go decentralized where you own the actual skins instead of piling a thousand dollars into Fortnite. And right. then when you turn off Fortnite, you don't own it anymore. So everything's going in that direction. And what we're doing is simply trying to, connect with our fans in a way that hasn't been done before. No other band has done this to the degree that you guys are doing this now. What a lot of bands have done is they've taken an image and they've tried to turn their music fans into art collectors. And to me, that's a does not compute. Now, if you were to take what is, what is, what are people listening to bands for? They're listening for the music. So if you were to take the music, put it on the blockchain and actually fractionalize out publishing or fractionalize out song ownership, at some point that's going to be a thing. And to me, that makes sense. People can wrap their head around it and go, right. oh, if I own that Muse song and I own a portion of the publishing and it all comes to me and funnels to me through you know, the blockchain, that's going to make sense. But if you just try to sell an image, that's like, trying to sell a song that comes with the Mona Lisa. It's like people right. want the Mona Lisa, not the song. Yes. Like, so yeah, yeah. there's a lot of different thoughts that I have about it, but I believe that the blockchain is going to revolutionize every space, including mm. finance and the way we get our bus tickets and the way we interact with, you know, entertainers and the way we interact with bands. And I believe our fans will find the value in this. And I, I want to knock this out of the park so that other bands can see, Oh, that's what we want to do. Hold on. I have questions. Yep. Is there an unlimited amount of these death bat tokens or is it like we're going to cap it off at a certain it's amount? 10,000, that's it. So, And does everybody have the opportunity at one time to get them? Yes. And the same price for everybody. Same price for everybody. So you, you don't buy know what the you're token. Getting. So, oh, right, because there's a bunch of different tokens, yeah. right? Yeah. So M, let's just say I'm lucky enough to get one of these tokens. Yep. And, I, and like in six months from now, I all of a sudden get this exclusive Avenged, Seven, Avenged Sevenfold merch. Yep. And the value of this token is going up year by year by year. Yeah. 
Could I sell that token to somebody? At any time you want. I could? Yes. Really? And you guys would be okay with that? That's what we want to have happen. So it's an investment, and it seems like I'm investing in you as much as you are in me at this point. This means yes. I'm with Avenge Sevenfold and you with me for years to come. Yeah, so like this token is has so much that comes with it, right? There's They're dropping us music. They're dropping us, you know, merchandise, they're dropping us tickets randomly, they're dropping us, and then there's a whole other world where we drop you avatars into the metaverse, right? We're building out a metaverse in wow. the sandbox, okay. which is like a social hub, there's a casino there, there's video games, but you want the, if you have the token, we're gonna drop you a death bat to use as an avatar in that world. And as this world expands, we just keep dropping you stuff because you're a token holder. Now, at some point, that token's gonna be worth so much to people. And we try to stay away from the economics of it because we don't want this to be come off as like some Dogecoin pump and dump. Right. Like I'm going to buy a bunch of these things and then sell them to fans and, and, you know, hit them on the back end. The reality is we believe we're going to bring so much value to these things that people are going to have a hard decision. Do I take that money? Because people are going to want in. There's only 10,000, right? And, or do I want to stay in the club? Could I almost compare it to, I have a couple pairs of shoes that I got. I'm not a shoe collector, but like I have a pair of these Air Jordans here. Yeah which I've had for years. They're worth a lot of money. Yeah. But I love them. Yes. And I just and every year and it's a great conversational piece. Yes. So if I have one of your tokens and I'm getting all this cool stuff, potential meet and greet, maybe I can get a guitar lesson from yep. Sinister Gates or Brooks Wackerman and I can have a Zoom session. Yep. We go golf like I want to hold on to this thing for as long as possible yeah, because can, of the experiences. And you can see the bids will get higher and higher for those, right? Like because if you have, we've sold tens of millions of records. Yes. And we're only releasing 10,000 of these things. Now, I think the people that get in early are going to not have a hard time because a lot of our fan base doesn't understand what this is. They haven't wrapped their head around it. They, they the still video are, makes perfect sense. Watch the video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you know, you still have to set up a wallet. You have to, you have to get Ethereum. You have to pay with cryptocurrency. You have to be able to know the... Oh so that God. video was just like the high level, like this is what it is. But then there's like that whole thing where you have to get into the, the ecosystem now, I believe that if we do our job correctly and we build this community out, these things will be insane. But right now, I believe that it's going to be the, tr the first believers that are going to really benefit from this. But you have a lot of work to do on your end with this. Yes. I'm not talking about the setup. Yeah. You have to come through for the fans yep. and not just throw in the towel. Exactly. You've got to be available for all these things. Is that something you guys talked about? Like, guys, this thing is freaking awesome, but we have to do, we can't slow down on this. So the only reason that we're using the blockchain, it's a good point you bring up. If we wanted to do all this stuff, think about how many companies we would have to hire. Like someone to deal with the ticketing, someone to deal with the VIP stuff, someone to deal with the lines outside of the show, because uh, you're going to have no line if you have a, have a okay. NFT, like you get to get, get in right away. Sweet. Um, think about on the back end, sending out the merchandise, sending out, you know, um, doing Zoom calls and sending out all this stuff. We would have to have different teams that specialize in all that stuff. With the blockchain, it's all instantly a push of the button and we can see it all on chain. Wow. So that's why we're doing this. It's actually very easy for us. All it takes is our time. So we had like that come to Jesus moment. Like, are we willing to give up our time? And so everybody said, we are all in on this. We're going to do whatever it takes to make this work. Now, things like the, you know, the golfing, those are going to have a three-year max on them, right? And then after three years, years we're going to have a decision to make, like, do we want to make it for another three years, right? Because what if this thing all falls apart and, you know, I mean, I mean anything could happen, right? So we want to make sure people understand that there's three years and then we'll renew it. That's what Gary Vee's doing with his stuff. Right, right. But with the tickets for life and all that, that's for life. 
It doesn't matter if you have the blockchain or not. Where you but you need a certain death bat token to get that. You have to have like a, similar just in the video. It's like getting your pack of baseball cards. Yeah. I bought an old pack. Am I going to get the Ken Griffey Jr. rookie, rookie card? Yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. might, right? And then yeah. I think at that point, say you're in Australia and you don't see us a lot. You're going to sell it to a person that's in America that can go on tour and travel. And I also think all those things are so rare that once people understand the NFT space, they're actually going to resell and trade these things based on the rarity, not just the utilities. And that's the hope, right? Like the way CryptoPunks trade or Bored Apes trade, they're based on how rare they are based on the algorithm that was set. So not to get too confusing to the listener. It's but not, honestly, listen, I'm someone, I'm looking at the camera right now. I've done some deep dives on NFTs, but after like 15 minutes with the laptop open, I'm like, Whew. yeah. Mike Shinoda explained it pretty well to me. The, your video explained it. And now it's like, I feel way more confident now with this. Yeah. So I don't. I, do I wouldn't too. be afraid to do a deep dive on NFTs as you're listening or watching us right now. Yeah, no, totally. And I think we have a Discord set up for people to go, you know, that so many people are helping, right? This community wants more people in it to, to help learn. Right now, you know, you got 400,000 wallets on OpenSea and 1.5 million are signing up for the Coinbase NFT. It's a small space. You're still getting in in the beginning. Right. And we understand that there's going to be growing pains. Like there's going to be people that don't understand a decentralized world. The questions that we used to ask don't apply anymore. It's things like, hey, I bought this from some guy and now you guys are not doing 200 shows a year. It's like, well, you bought that from some guy has nothing to do with us at this point. It's kind of like joining the Metallica fan club. And at some point I want to sell it back. You can't do that. No. With this, you can sell it to somebody else and have them get involved. But at that point, they have to understand that you're not buying that from us. You're buying that from a secondary party. And that's like a different decentralized world that, you know, you can't come back complaining to us if we don't do what you want us to do. So there's a lot of little things that are going to be asked and new questions. And what do you think about, you know, fake death bats coming out? The old world, you'd sue them and get them taken down. The new world, it doesn't really matter because the fake death bats don't hold any utility. Right. It's our blockchain that holds utility. Yes. So we don't have to care about those questions anymore. And so there's a whole new way of thinking. And it's like a leap forward in terms of it's like a, a leap knowing that the culture is going to work itself out and that these new questions are going to arise and the old questions Dude, don't make sense. It's inspiring them shadows. Seriously, <laughs> this is, it sounds, it had, has to have been overwhelming for you at some point in the last year getting to this point. Has it been where you're like, my head's spinning like a top. What the heck are we doing right now? I've been in crypto for five or six years now and then oh, NFTs for a year. Yeah. So I've been slowly... As things, I mean, every week, this space is exploding, right? And not just financially, this space is exploding in what you can do. There's so many smart devs that are leaving web two jobs and coming to web three and building on these platforms because they feel more liberated to build on open source platforms that are decentralized and that there is no ownership. There is no third party that's overwatching you over, you know, your overlords. Yeah, they can yeah. build and they can be free to do what they want. And so what I've found is that between like Blau and, Mike Shinoda and Steve Ioki and Marshmallow and all these DJs that are getting involved, these avenues are opening up with the fractionalized music and the, the artwork and the, right. what we can provide to the fans. To me, it's a complete no brainer, but it's been a slow process for me. And that's why one thing I'm trying to work on is not using big words and explaining things too deeply at first. I think well, good. Cause I don't know any big words. I just think that for a, a general audience, all people really need to know is that it's a club that the, this is the key to open up the club. And, you know, to that same point, like you don't need to know how quantum mechanics to know why your cell phone works. Right. You don't need to know the inner workings of the internet. 
in the beginning, it's really fun to know because people are building the internet. But to go I think on that Amazon. holds people back a lot of times when it, it comes to technology because you're like, I need to know how this works before yes. I invest my time into it. Yeah. You're never really going to understand yeah. Yeah. it. Just buy the phone and use yes. the app. Yeah, like, <laughs> All press right. call. And so. can I pepper you with some musical questions? Let's do, it. Let's do it. Okay. I know you guys keep things very close to you. Yeah. Do you have any new songs that are totally finished that the world has not heard? So we have a record that's been completely written for over a year and it's been recorded Pretty much. But you haven't gone back to tweak it or anything as times are going? No, no, no. I think, um, listen, I think if, if everybody was in the headspace where we can, we can go on tour, support this record and life wasn't completely getting in the way and all these other endeavors that people are doing. Um, and then also the, just the randomness of the COVID stuff, right? Like shows are on and they're off and they're on and they're off. And and one person gets sick, then unfortunately you have to shut it down. And what people don't understand, and and I hate bringing up the economics of it, but when you book a tour, you're probably not even break even until two weeks into that tour, right? Three weeks into the tour and all the the money that you make or whatever you're trying to do, like to pay for the crew or pay for the buses or pay for this, they don't care if COVID outbreaks, you have to pay them still. So if you start a tour and you don't actually get to finish it, you just get hammered on it, right? It just doesn't make sense to even get the whole machine running. You owe everybody that money still. And so what people don't understand is we're really just trying to make sure that everybody mentally wants to go on tour and support a record that it's going to make sense to, to support the record. And it's not a stop go situation and just we're going to release it when we want to release it. That's just the bottom line. Right. And people okay. seem to think we work for them. I remember you we- telling me a while ago that there were songs done, but then I'm like, Oh, are they going to put it out? So what, how you just explained it was perfect. Yeah. So the songs are done. Um, I still have some vocals to do and we have some strings to record. And the thing with the strings is that in LA, they're simply not allowing people to be within six feet. And we have experience. I'm not going to name bands, but our producer, worked on some records and he's like, listen, you put somebody six feet apart and you mic them all. It does not sound like a group playing together. He's like, they are hearing the notes off a little bit. There's no unified sound. And we have a bunch of out of tune violin players and out of tune singers. And he's like, I'm sitting in there fixing it all. And he's like, I suggest either going to Prague and doing it or just waiting. And so we're still waiting because we don't want to go to Prague (laughs) and record these things. I mean, there's so many little things And we're just not willing to compromise on it. And at the end of the day, everyone needs to decide I'm ready to go support a record. It's a lot of work. Well, you mentioned the financials, but the toll it takes on your mind, body, and family. Yes. It's a real thing. It is. I mean, you got to get in the right headspace. You're leaving your house. You got two or three suitcases, city to city to city. Yeah. Singing, screaming every single night and talking to people. Yeah. So You just have to make sure you're mentally there for it. And look at all these, you know, I don't want to, make it come off like we have like all these problems in the band we don't but people are also very cognizant of their life and how it is right now and they want to be happy doing things and i think the fans mm-hmm. want us to be happy doing things we are very much happy into this digital realm we're going into and the, and yeah. the nfts and we're going to be happy when the record comes out and when we do shows we'll be happy doing them just know that if we're on stage then we're in a good place right okay that's good. I feel very satisfied with that answer right now. <laughs> no one else will be satisfied. <laughs> I'm, sa- I'm satisfied. Give with us it. the record. You work for us. <laughs> no, it's coming. It's coming. It's yeah, coming. Yeah, yeah, Eventually, yeah, yeah. We're, we're all going to get it. We're going to yeah. go to the shows. I'm going to have my token. I'm going to be living large. I will say this. We're also building a studio and we're also talking to people that people will be excited to know that we're looking at other ways to release music, collab with people, which I can't say now. Um, but the reality is once this token comes out, and the next record comes out and we get in that vibe, I think things will start churning out much faster than we've ever done before. 
When you say building a studio, a recording studio. Building a recording studio in Orange County, yeah. You are. Yeah. So that'll be the home base. Could you see maybe at some point someone with a certain token gets to come to the studio for a day? We've thought of that. Maybe watch a performance, maybe watch you guys put a song together or something like that. Have parties at the warehouse because we've got a, like I said, we own our own merch. We've got our own warehouse. We've got video games in there. We've got like this whole headquarters thing and we're going to build a studio in there. So of course the token should allow people to come in a couple times a year, you know, hang out. When City of Evil came out and... Uh, you guys started to get a lot of radio play on maybe some radio stations that you thought, ah, we're never going to maybe get on this radio station. Could you feel the band getting bigger at that time? Could you feel it? Could you see it? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, and it's so funny because it came after a total lull for us because when that record first came out, our fans on Waking the Fallen were very bummed on it. You know, they were like, this isn't Waking the Fallen 2. This isn't even screaming and singing. This is all singing. Matt's voice has changed. They're doing much more solos. It's much more over the top. And so we came off with a disappointing first week, came out of a very disappointing first week, and then basically no traction. The record had dropped all the way off the charts, and it was, you know, we're doing, at the time, two, 3,000 records a week, which at the time is a total failure. And we're on a major label. We have a different sound. And, and then... And your first, this is, so you're on Warner Brothers at that point, yeah. right? You, mm-hmm. you go to that, and did they, were there like emails at the time? Oh, the first, like actors, actresses, they're opening weekend of the movie. Like, oh, uh-oh, this is not going to go well. Maybe we didn't see him. Okay. You know, like maybe, but I think um, you had Tom Wally and Craig Aronson over there and Andy Oliphant and Xavier Ramos, like all these really, now that looking back, were just total killers. And they were going to support us no matter what, looking back on it. Yeah, it was a disappointment because the thing was just going like this and it was going like, well, what's going to save us? I mean, we don't, we've never had radio. We've never had anything. If the fans don't like it, they don't like it. It is what it is. And so we just went on Warp Tour and then one day we heard, oh, what it was, was Benji and Joel. Benji and Joel were like, we're going to take them on TRL with us and play backcountry on TRL. What the hell? Because they liked us and we liked them. We were friends and we were, I think we were one of those bands that came off as, like if we were, if, if people were going to talk bad about good Charlotte, it'd be someone like us. And we weren't those guys, right? We were like cool with them. We loved good Charlotte and we yeah. were friends with them. And I think they felt like a lot of the animosity from the warp tour, that group, like these guys were superstars on MTV, et cetera. And I think part of that was the reason they said, well, we get to bring on an artist that we want. And they brought on Avenged Sevenfold and we went You're on in New York city. TRL. We go there. They said, okay, we want to bring them on and play Bad Country on there. They played our video. (laughs) They played our video and it never left TRL after that. No. And it went all the way to number one. And then we ended up winning Video Music of the Year. I mean, those guys single handed. And you went to VMA, Best New Artist. When when Best New Artist. Yeah, because of that video. And it really was because Benji and Joel saw something or Good Charlotte saw something that no one else saw and they took us on there and it had a mainstream audience. The video was killer. The song worked. And then all of a sudden everything just started going, right? It was like, here we go. Do you ever watch first reaction videos on YouTube? Do you ever go down that rabbit hole? I have a couple times. Yeah. Have you seen the Avenged Sevenfold first reactions? People watching. I've seen a couple. Ba- yeah. There's, I get so, cause that's me all those years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I watched them watching a System of a Down video. I, love, or, or, I, I do that one too. Mind. Like yeah. Chop and stuff. I yeah. love watching it. Or Tool or something. Yeah, yeah. Rob Zombie. I'm like, I was there for the very first time. I'm vicariously living. Yeah. So I always watch, I always watch Avenge first reaction videos. That's funny. They're so good. So then you go City of Evil into self-titled. Yep. Then you go to Nightmare. 
not personally because it's there is no bigger tragedy, but the loss of the Rev. How did you, for you, move forward professionally? Yeah, I mean, it was really hard. I mean, we were as bitter as you could be watching people on New Year's Eve. It happened, you know, before, you know, the new year. Yeah. And we're just watching everyone party and we never experienced anything like that. We never experienced anything since, you know, you, you know, most of us in our life will either die first or we're going to experience this throughout our lives. But seeing something that shocking and him being that young was just like, it's and something talented you, yeah, and, and talented important and just, to the band and just like your best friend. Like, it's crazy. Like you don't get to call that guy anymore and he's at your house all the time. So, we were going to put it all on hold. And then I think as humans do, what we are so good at is kind of picking ourselves back up and moving forward. It's one thing we have to do. I mean, there's no other choice. We're and made to heal. We're humans made to heal. Made to we're heal. made to heal. It doesn't mean that, you know, it's okay or that it's better. It's just, that's what we do. We, we heal at some point, we move on with our lives and we have to. And at some point, you know, within the months, we started getting ideas of how we could finish the record because we felt it was going to be like, man, we wrote this record with them. It's going to really be terrible if we don't get to finish it right then the idea was well what do we do you know and so we started piecing those ideas together i think about a month or two after um everything had happened and then that was nightmare that was right? nightmare, nightmare. Yep. and that went number one hail to the king went number one yep. and then here comes from bad religion brooks wackerman to be part of the band yeah yeah, yeah. all right uh i loved him when he was part of bad religion yeah but uh as speaking in a professional way because i don't understand how dr like what does he bring as a drummer to the band like what does he rule at I mean, he rules at everything. I mean, the guy is a, he's like that session drummer that is completely well-versed in every style of music. And then also for some reason plays with bad religion in the vandals, Right. <laughs> you know, like, and speaking of the vandals, I mean, they have like the greatest drummers, right? It's like right. Brooks and Josh Reese and it's like yes. crazy. And it's being used in the vandals, which is amazing. You know, like, it's like just punk rock silliness. Um, but he brings everything. And, and I think um, where we miss Jimmy as like a, came up from the beginning with us and a visionary in the band with us and like the songwriting, this and that. Yes. Brooks is just, he brings in this technicality and also this, this quirky way of thinking and how he's going to transition things and, and move things around. And so it's just been a transition for us working with him, but it's been nothing but a pleasure because we enjoy him so much and we enjoy his personality and he's just a killer. He can play anything. Just listen to the beginning of the stage and the rudiments that he's doing and all off time stuff. And, but he makes it palatable and listenable. So I think, um, is it easy to get along with? I mean, you, if you, if you can't get along with Brooks Wackerman, then, okay. <laughs> you, then you have a problem. Yeah. He's a great, he's a great guy and his family's great. So it works perfect. And he's got young kids and his wife's amazing. And so it's just perfect. And do you feel good with the rest of the band right now? The vibe is good with everybody? I mean, Johnny, we could do without, but <laughs> no, no, it's great. Yeah. It's really great. We, we actually not being on tour and not dealing with stuff has been like, actually really beneficial for our relationships. We golf together. We go hang out at the bar. We movie nights with the kids go, oh, you know, that's great, man. I mean, and I think the healthiest thing for us to do is just embrace that. And then, like I said, go out when we want to go out, play when we want to play, just have a healthy environment because we're all humans and we all know that it can go like this quick, right? That, right. that mental state. And so I think right now we're in a really good spot and I'm looking forward to what we do in the future because you know, I'm really enjoying hanging out with everyone. That's great, man. Yeah. It's all about the happiness and man, your energy and your vibe right now. I feel so enthused. Like I can go do any, <laughs> I'm serious. Like I can go do anything right now. Death Bats Club. Yep. We got to get our tokens. Got to get the tokens. I'm never going to sell mine if I'm lucky enough to get one. And M Shadows, 
I appreciate you so much. Thank you for you. thank you for being on the show. Oh, you're very welcome, man. Thank you guys for watching and thank you so much for listening. That's M Shadows. I'm Striker. See you guys later. Nice. That's another episode of Striker's Tuna on Toast. Promise it'll get better. Most likely. For sure. <laughs> Maybe. And just like that, another episode comes to a close. We did it. Yeah, M Shadows. All right. Hey, I'll talk to you guys. Slide into my DMs anytime on Instagram. Ted Striker. Also, Tuna on Toast on Instagram. Don't forget about the YouTube show. You can watch all of these great episodes. Again, thanks so much for supporting, and I will see you on the next one. Happy snuggles. Bye-bye.